Last week I kicked off a series that I'm doing about uh, uh, following Jesus and uh, what does it look like to increasingly be a mature follower of Jesus. And this series is based on a book by Pete Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And I first really came across this guy uh, 2019 and uh, just really enjoyed digging deep into uh, the things he was teaching and found during the pandemic his wisdom was so helpful and powerful and insightful. So today we're carrying on that uh, series and I'm looking at embrace God's gift of limits. Embrace God's gift of limits. And what I want to do is I'll do my best to read it well, is to tell you a story, uh, it's a fable, uh, a, a story that illustrates uh, embracing our gift of limits. And so the story starts like this, so you can relax and uh, enjoy me attempting to read this in the best possible way I can. Once upon a time, there lived a man who had given a great deal of thought and effort to determine what he wanted from life. Then one day, a door opened for him to actually live his dreams. But the opportunity would be available for only a short time, and he would have to embark on a long journey. He began walking and grew more and more excited as he envisioned his future dream becoming a reality. As he hurried along, however, he came to a bridge high above a dangerous, rapidly flowing river. As he started across the bridge, he noticed a stranger approaching him from the opposite direction. The man had a rope wrapped around many times around his waist. The rope looked like it might stretch to a length of at least 30 feet. The stranger began to unwrap the rope as he walked. Just as the two men were about to meet, the stranger said, pardon me, sir, would you be so kind as to hold the end of the rope for me? Without thinking, almost instinctively, the man reached out and took the rope. Thank you, said the stranger. He then added, two hands now, and remember, hold tight. At that point, the stranger jumped off the bridge. The strong pull from the now extended rope was so strong it almost dragged the man over the side of the bridge into the treacherous river below. He shouted over the railing, what are you trying to do? Just hold tight, the stranger called back. This is ridiculous, the man thought. He began trying to haul the stranger up. But the task was beyond 
his strength. Why did you do this? He yelled in frustration over the edge. Remember, said the stranger, if you let go, I will die. But I cannot pull you up, the man cried. I am your responsibility, said the stranger. I did not ask for it, the man said. If you let go, I am lost, repeated the stranger. The man looked around for help, but there was no one within sight. He began to think about his predicament. Here he was, eagerly pursuing a unique opportunity to fulfil his dream, and now he was being sidetracked for who knows how long. Maybe I can tie the rope somewhere, he thought. He examined the bridge carefully, but there was no way to get rid of this newfound burden. Again, he yelled over the bridge, what do you want? Just your help, came the answer. How can I help? I cannot pull you in, and there is no place to tie the rope while I find someone who may, who could help you. Just keep hanging on, replied the dangling stranger. My life is in your hands. The man was stumped. If I let go, all my life I will always regret I let this stranger die. If I stay, I will never reach my dreams or destiny. Either way, this will haunt me forever. Time passed. Still no one came. The man became keenly aware that it was almost too late to resume his journey. If he didn't leave immediately, he wouldn't arrive on time. Finally, a new idea came to him. Listen, he explained to the man hanging below. I think I know how I can save you. He could not pull the stranger up solely by his own efforts, but if the stranger would shorten the rope by wrapping it around his waist again and again, together they could do it. But the dangling man had no interest. You mean you won't help? He pointed to the stranger. I can't hold on much longer. If you don't, I, I will die, came the reply. At this moment, a revelation came to the man on the bridge. An idea that until this moment, he would never have considered. Listen carefully, the man said. I mean what I'm about to say. The dangling stranger looked up, hopeless and despondent. I will not accept the position of choice for your life. 
Only for my own, the man said. From this moment on, I give you the power of choice for your own life back to you. What do you mean, the stranger asked, clearly afraid. I mean simply, it's up to you. You decide your future. I will be the counterweight. You do the pulling and bring yourself up and I will tug some from here. The, ma the man unwound the rope from around his waist and braced himself to be the counterweight. You cannot mean what you say, the stranger shrieked. You would not be so selfish. I am your responsibility. What could be so important that you would let me die? After a long silence, the man on the bridge said slowly, I accept your choice. He let go of the rope and continued on his journey over the bridge. So I'm talking about embracing the gift of limits. So each of us can sometimes feel that we're the person on the bridge. And we understand that following Jesus requires phrases that Jesus has used. Pick up your cross, love one another, love your neighbour as yourself. And we understand that love requires at times sacrifice and servanthood. But embracing the gift of limits means we're not called to take every rope that is handed to us. <laughs> Have you noticed that in the world there are more needs than your personal supply? <laughs> there are more needs in the world than my personal supply. And sometimes we expect way too much of ourselves. And sometimes, like in this story, we expect way too much of others too. The gift of limits is about this. What is the best response in the long run rather than what is easier now? How many of you instinctively say yes before you've even had a moment to think? How many of you feel that just because the rope is handed to you that that's something that you have to do? One of my favourite writers Renny Brown says this, a moment of pain or a lifetime of regret. And what she does is when someone asks her something or, to use that fable, passes her a rope, she spins her wedding ring around once and says, a moment of pain or a lifetime of regret. In other words, is this something for me to carry? Is this rope something that I need to grab hold of? Or is this something where I need to say thank you so much for asking, but I can't? Discipleship, mature discipleship, requires that every believer in Christ ultimately takes on personal responsibility. The Bible talks about, in Galatians, there's a difference between a load and a burden. Paul says that each person should carry their load. 
That was a picture from the military. You've seen soldiers, they carry their pack, 25 kilos, that's their load. And each soldier carries their load, their normal, everyday stuff. They carry it. But then we should serve one another in our burdens. In other words, those moments where life throws us a curveball, there's a surprise, there's sickness, there's difficulty, there's a redundancy, something happens. There's a looking out for one another in the moments of burden, but each person is called to grow in Christ and learn how to be, uh, take personal responsibility. The gift of limits means this, that the only gift that you have really to give the world is who God made you to be. That's your fundamental and primary gift that you are to give the world. And I guess in that fable, the man has suddenly realised that his life has come to this moment where the gift that he is to the world, there's a door opening for him to walk through it. Embracing the gift of limits is looking after that gift. Looking after you. <laughs> looking after sleep. Looking after your diet, looking after exercise, looking after the need for to silence and solitude, to be with God, looking after those needs so that you have long-term fruitfulness. I want to ask you each a question. How much clarity do you have about who God has made you to be? How much clarity do you have about, on earth, this is how I'm going to love the world really, really well? How much clarity do you live with in terms of this is what I carry. I'm going to bring that gift as a sacrificial offering to love my neighbour as myself. To discover that gift, sometimes it's what people say about you. Sometimes a person with a gift of hospitality discovers they've got a gift of hospitality because people say when I'm around you, you make me feel welcome and special and looked after. Sometimes it can be the prophetic words that you carry, the things that God has said about you. Sometimes it can be the testimonies that you gather and think, you know what, this happened again and again and again. I think I carry something in this area. Sometimes it can just be the observable fruit that's appearing on the branches of your life and people see that fruit appearing. But to discover who God has made you to be requires discernment, which means to understand and know. There needs to be prayer and wisdom. It needs to be worked out in community. All gifts are given for the benefit of the family, the body, the community. And I would say one of the key ways of discovering what you uniquely carry is to serve in the absolute general of everything. Sometimes we can wait and wait and wait for what is that specific thing that I'm on earth for, and it often is discoverable in the place of sacrificial service of people, serving in the general that leads to the specific. And even when you know what the specific is, I would say there still needs to be a serving in the general that we never grow out of just getting our hands dirty and getting stuck in. And we need that sense of God's commissioning too, not just a bright idea. The gift of limits means we cannot do everything. You and I cannot do everything, but we are called to be ourselves and to love others radically and sacrificially well. The gift of limits means each one of you in this room are uniquely and wonderfully gifted 
in something that is wonderful from God. And the gift of limits also means that each one of us, you, me, are uniquely and wonderfully limited. That's why Jesus is such a genius at building the church. Because it's in the church that we discover the body, that we discover the various parts, that we discover the various gifts. That where I'm uniquely gifted can serve another person. Where I'm uniquely limited, another person is uniquely strong. And through mutual submission, we serve one another. That's why we don't believe in a a hierarchical top-down. We believe in mutual submission. That means that someone who is more gifted than me in an area, I can submit to their gift and receive the grace and the wisdom and what they carry. And that's when another person who's more gifted than I, or maybe I carry a gift, another person can choose whether they want to um, submit to that gift and receive what I carry. So we're each gifted, we're each limited. Actually, I can't do all things. I know sometimes we quote Paul and we says, I can do all things. Well, I think Paul is talking about, I can be content whether well-fed and, and, and having enough, or I can be content when, when it's all going swimmingly. I can be content with a million pounds. I can be content with nothing. It's the supernatural gift of contentment that is the all things. And it's not, I can do anything. No, actually, I can't. I can't do any, everything. I am, I am limited. So I want to talk about two types of limits. What limits do I receive and joyfully submit to as God's invitation to trust? So I'm going to go through a list. Some of those things are the limits of um, personality. There's a, there's a limit. I am by nature an introvert. <laughs> That means I'm not energised by crowds. I'm energised by time alone in solitude. That's a, a, a limit of personality. Other people are energised and extroverts. They're energised by crowds and being with lots of people. We can be um, limited by our temperament. We can be uh, limited by our abilities. I, I honestly have struggled with the, the God-given limitation on both my map reading and my ability with DIY. It's a limit on me. I can't, put, I can't see angles. I don't know if something's straight or not straight. That's, I'm limited in that area. And that was often a deep-seated frustration. I wanted to be not limited in that. And so we can be limited in our capacity, our calling, and in our strengths. We can be living in a season right now which is limited. COVID-19 is a, a limit that actually we could submit joyfully to, even though it's incredibly painful, and say, I know that you're working even in this season. You're doing something. It's an invitation to trust. There can be limits in terms of, of uh, singleness, and there can be limits in terms of being married. There can be limits in terms of emotional, physical, intellectual capacities. There's limits of time. I would like to live in Rome. I would like to live in New York City. I would like to uh, live in, you know, in, a, in, a, in, in a beach hut in Australia. 
It's not going to happen this side. I'm trusting God and I've got good biblical evidence. There's a lot of these things are going into the new heaven and new earth. And I'll have limited, infinite time to investigate and explore and, in, and enjoy them. So, but yet within limits, God can still do incredible things. Sarah was 99 and Abraham as good as dead. And that's a limit, isn't it? <laughs> you know, if the definition of your life is actually you're as good as dead. Yet God made Sarah a mother of the nations. Elijah was a prophet prone to serious bouts of depression. And yet he was mightily used by God. The 12 disciples, I mean, these, these people turned the world upside down were not the highly educated, naturally gifted, or well-networked people. These were ordinary men and the broader disciples, ordinary men and women. They had no prior leadership experience that would have prepared them to lead the most important movement of human history. Timothy, apparently fearful and shy by nature, was called by God to lead a large, influential, yet difficult church in Ephesus, which was beset by divisions, problems and conflicts. The, Mary was a teenager from a poor family. Now I, <laughs> I have the Queen song in my head when I read that line in this book. Mary was a teenager from a poor family, Galileo, Galileo. <laughs> Mary was a teenager from a poor family, living in a small town of, of 50 to 200 people in Nazareth. At the time when young girls pregnant outside of marriage was beyond scandalous, she could have been subject to stoning, yet she was God's chosen vessel to give birth to Jesus. So you, you read multiple times of different things where people pushed, uh, it, they had limits of character, temperament, personality, education, and yet God used them to do extraordinary and magnificent things. And so there's the limits of uh, those things. But you and I don't like limits. I think sometimes we don't like limits and we want to push against limits and we want to defy limits. Sometimes limits confront us with God's authority. They confront us with the reality that we are not God. We can have, when we're in limits of seasons or circumstances, we can become frustrated. It's like we want to be directors of a show. And we want to tell God where the lights go and our role in the show and our position. We want, to, we want to tell all the other actors when they come in and what they say and what they do. We want control. We don't want limits. Adam and Eve in Eden walked with God, had meaningful work. They did not like limits. They did not like the idea there was a limit of one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and they were told not to eat from it. They defied limits, pushed against limits, and that had huge implications. Jesus, on the other hand, worked within and embraced limits. Jesus actually didn't build a large ministry. If you look at what Jesus finally left, it was about 120 people. He embraced the limits that he's not going to build a mega movement in Jerusalem. Jesus sometimes embraced the limits on saying no to other people. Remember the demoniac wanted to follow him and Jesus said no. And so he didn't let other people, certain people follow him. 
Jesus embraced the limit that he wasn't himself going to go to all the nations. Jesus stayed in a very small geographical area. He finished the work he was given and then he commissioned the disciples, the church and us to go to Europe, to go to Africa, to go to Asia, to go to America. Jesus embraced the limits of his own humanity and withdrew to be alone with God. He embraced and accepted the limits of the Father when Jesus says, is there another way in Gethsemane? And the Father said, no, there's only this way. He embraced the limit of the Father's no and said, yeah, okay, I'm going to do what you've asked. John the Baptist was one who embraced the limits of God. He, his disciples said to him, everyone is going away from you and going to Jesus. And instead of wrestling against the limits and pressing against them and defying them, he said, a person can receive only what is given, from, is given them from heaven. He embraced the limits. But there's also limits that we're called to break through by faith so that others can know him. There are limits that we press through by faith so that we become the person that God has intended us to be. Often the gifts and potential that we cover do require faith, trust, courage and sacrifice. And we looked at some of those earlier on, of Timothy, timid, had to push through to be, uh, to be bold and courageous and not let other people look down on him. So there's plenty of time and capacity and resources and ability that you have to do what God has asked you to do. So one of my limits is I can be an introvert who, who actually is quite shy and an internal processor. So that was a limit that I had to push through by faith, trust and courage and having a go. Recently I had an opportunity which was a kind of dream opportunity which was to use one of my gifts which is of communication to pioneer a podcast with Pete Carter. But if you've listened to podcasts, podcasts require people who are quick external processors they don't tend to have discussions where the person says, I'll be back with you in about a week, where I'll have an opinion on that. Rather, podcasts are quite moving, fast, dynamic, sharing, talking, exploring. So I had to go to God. There was a limit that I had to push through and ask God for the grace and the courage and the trust to be able to do this. There's also this. Every time we press into a new thing that we know God has called us to do, we are absolutely terrible at it at first. So there is nothing that we'll ever attempt where on the first attempt, whether it's speaking or communicating or preaching or a podcast or whatever it is, there is nothing that you'll ever do that you'll actually be good at it at first. It's actually a myth of our culture that says, if you are good at something, you have to be naturally good at something. Actually, that's a lie. Mm -hmm. Everybody who's become great at something has, has really been rubbish at it at the beginning. That's the truth of whether you're a genius at the violin, you're great at cooking, you're wonderful at maths, 
You can sing amazingly, you can play football, whatever talent or ability a person had, I can guarantee there was a point that person did it where they were rubbish at the beginning. But our culture says if it isn't easy at the beginning, then you're not gifted and called and that you're limited in that area. So I would say that's why we need um, discernment, the prophetic, the community, the encouragement of one another to embrace both the gift and have the, have the courage to recognise it might feel at the beginning, I can't do it, but actually you can, it's just going to take time. Everyone is terrible at the, at the beginning. So to land this, to be a fruitful man and woman for Christ, you need to know what is God's work. Serving the general, but God has got a work for you to do. That Jesus' mission is to evangelise the whole earth with the good news, and you have a part to play in it. There's a great writer, Thomas Aquinas, who loved books and study. His great work was study and writing amazing books. Other people dug ditches in the road with the poor and served people in that way. What is your work? Do it God's way. Do it God's way. Find God's timing. God's work, God's way, God's timing bears God's fruit. Yes, so God, I thank you that every single person in this room is uniquely gifted and talented and carries something from God. I pray, Father, that where there's the need for courage and trust, I pray that each person would find that courage and trust in you. I pray that this place would be a place of deep community, that other people would say, you are great at that, and when you do that, you're amazing. Keep going, don't quit, be bold, be courageous, keep going, keep learning, keep trying, keep getting up and going again. I pray that we would be that community that knows each other really, really well.